really, really glad you chose to be with us today. My name is Jim. I'm so glad that you're here. We are on this series called Epicenter. There was just two parts. We looked at the cross, the crucifixion, as the first part of the epicenter of everything we believe, the central foundational truths that we are believing in, and all of this is about where death was swallowed up in victory. So today we continue and conclude, but not really conclude, the series Epicenter. I want to start with the dark thoughts that we were kind of with last week and how Jesus absorbed all this darkness, but there's a lot of darkness. So here's a stat that I didn't realize, that in the last 20 years, just 20 years, the suicide rate in America has increased 33%. That's a lot of darkness. And so among young people, um, it is the number two killer among young adults. The number one killer is accidents. And so uh, just want to make two observations. This dark world absolutely needs the good news of Jesus Christ. There is no reason to take your life. There is hope in Jesus Christ. That's observation number one. Observation number two, please don't look at your phones and drive. Seriously, it's the number one killer among young people is just accidents. So don't look at your phones. There's a temptation. Don't look there while you're driving. So that's a little lighter, but uh, it's an important one for us to hear. Now, we're going to begin today with a statement and a question. Here's the statement. It's a huge statement of Jesus. He claimed to be the answer to the darkness we experience. So the question, is there any evidence that can substantiate such a bold claim? Think about that. He claimed to be the answer to the darkness that any of us might feel huge, huge claim of Jesus. Is there any evidence to substantiate that claim? We're going to begin on some common ground, a really curious statement that the Apostle Paul made that I think believers and unbelievers alike might kind of see some truth, that they would kind of recognize a truth. So we'll start on some common ground. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7. Paul writes, And if Christ has not been raised... Our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. I think that a lot of unbelievers that think, yeah, you guys seriously believe in the literal resurrection of Jesus? I kind of agree with Paul. It seems kind of useless. You believe that? Like, uh, I, don't think it, I don't think it happens, so it doesn't seem like it's really valuable, and that's why I don't go to church, and there's a lot of that kind of sentiment going on. Well, we believers think if it didn't happen, there's no reason for us to get here. No reason for us to celebrate. So there's a, some commonality to this very curious way of approaching this question. It's almost like, man, if this didn't happen, why are we even here? And he, he says it like that. Preaching doesn't count. And which is kind of odd because I know a lot of people that they like Jesus. They think Jesus and the love of Jesus is really impactful. He changes our lives. I'm really glad that he does. I'm glad he does for you. I'm glad he does. In fact, I would like to be more like Jesus. And they see a lot of value in Jesus. But believing in the literal resurrection in our modern scientific age, come on, really? I'm not sure I can go there. I can't really believe that. But I see the value. He's changing you. Paul says, hmm, not much value there, really. There's a greater value when you see the reality that he is literally resurrected. Now, 
If I just described you, don't feel like I slapped you. I'm really glad you're here. If you value Jesus and value his lifestyle and morals and teaching, you think there's a lot of value to that, fantastic. That's a great starting point. I want to move a little bit further along in something. Maybe you don't know this. The population of the globe right now is 7.7 billion. And did you know that 2.4 billion people That's almost a third of that population believe that Jesus literally rose from the dead. And so it's like, whoa, how is it even possible in our modern scientific age to literally believe this? What is the evidence? Why do so many people believe this? And that's kind of what we're looking at today. But if you're not there yet, I'm so glad you're here. And I think you'll be glad that you're here and that there'll be some thoughts that you're going to process and kind of come along uh, as we uh, think together. So we're going to begin on the first Easter, that Sunday morning in the Gospel of John, chapter 20. All four of the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark's, Luke's, and John's biographies of Jesus, talk about the resurrection. And they all have so many different uh, perspectives. John narrows in on one lady's reaction. It's interesting because there are many laters, ladies with her, but he's, he's talking about this one lady in particular. And here's what we read at the beginning of chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week... While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene. Now, the reason they called her Mary Magdalene is she's from a little region called Magdala. And you have to differentiate between this Mary and all the other Marys that were with her. If you look at all the other Gospels, there's Marys everywhere. It's like, this is so confusing. It's like, come on, can't you come up with other names? Last week, remember, we talked about there's two Jesuses? Well, Jesus was a really common name, too. The Greek version of the Hebrew Joshua is Jesus, both meaning Savior. That was a really common name, too. But Mary, very, very common. So, Mary Magdalene. Now, what we know about Mary Magdalene is she led a very dark life. We don't know a lot of the details about why it was dark, but the scriptures say to us that she was trapped. She was feeling so trapped. If she lived in Cottonwood today, I think she would have gone to medical doctors, and I think she would have gone to the psychiatric doctors, and I think they would have given her medicines to treat her symptoms, and I think they would have done the best they could with psychology and give her the best they can, and she would still feel trapped. The scriptures say she was demon-possessed, and you can treat a lot of symptoms, but still not get at that, but she met Jesus, and all that went away. From darkness and bondage and fears that were consuming, she was set free. She became a devotee of Jesus and followed him from that day forward all the time. There were a group of ladies that would support of their own means and would kind of hang out with the 12 and they would do the best they can to collect money and, and give of the money that they had to help support the cause. And she was one of those. Well, a little bit about her. She heard early Friday morning, she went to bed Thursday night, no clue that Jesus was going to be arrested. No clue that he was going to be tried all night. No clue that he was going to be tried in the morning and executed that day. But she woke up and the news was buzzing all over the place. People were running and sending word out because they had arrested Jesus. They were trying him and it looked like they were trying him to try to execute him. So she runs and she arrives and she's there from that moment forward through his crucifixion all the way to his death and walks with the body and the people with the body all the way to the tomb, watches as they bring him into the tomb, watches as they do a quick embalming job, and not an adequate job either, because they're running out of time because it's a Sabbath. You say, that was Friday. You need to understand Jewish calendar. Evening on Friday to evening of Saturday is Sabbath for the Jewish mind. 
So as the evening was approaching Friday, they got to wrap things up. So Mary experienced a really bad Friday. We call it Good Friday. She experienced a really bad Friday, okay? Saturday was a really despairing Saturday. All hopes shattered. And she just ripped up, crying through Saturday. As soon as Sabbath is over, sun goes down, she goes out with some other ladies, Mark tells us in chapter 16, and buys more spices so they can do a better job of honoring the body of Jesus. And so they take off to the tomb. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, and she says, we saw the huge stone, and they took all those men to roll it over the... How are we going to open that? Oh, details. It's like... They didn't even think of that. And on their way, they were thinking, how are we going to, who's going to open it? And then then when they arrive, they see it's open. All right, here's a detail you may or may not remember. So many people don't. You would think, the tomb is open. Exciting. No, that is not how it went down. And we need to see this because it's a really important feature. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. She didn't think, oh, good. She thinks, Oh, no! And we see this immediately in verse 2. She runs because she's thinking, now what have they done to him? Because they keep doing horrible things to him. She runs and finds Peter and John. She says, they, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put them. She didn't know who the they are. But she's distressed. And she goes from distress to major, major, deeper distress. She's freaking out. We got it. It's horrible. That's terrible. They already killed him. What are they doing with the body? We got to find this and find out. This is an important feature. Because our world tends to say, all right, these guys are all super prepped to believe this thing. And that's why Christianity got off the ground. They're so super prepped to believe this thing, just any shred of evidence, they're going to jump on it and say, oh yeah, he's resurrected. That's not how it went down at all. Here's what we read in Luke chapter 24, verse 11. But they did not believe the women. So later on in the story, after Peter and John run to the tomb, we're going to look at that in a moment. Um, They come back, and then the women are there. The angels appear and appear to the women, and they say, he's he's risen. He's not here. Tell him that. Mary Magdalene, she's a part of that, being told that. And then when the women come back, they're all talking about, so so exciting, the the angel said this. They're excited. You think that would tip the scales for Jesus' followers? Uh Uh-uh. Not at all. But they did not believe the women. Because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Now, this is the closest followers of Jesus. These are the followers who have listened to everything you've said. They've heard his predictions and they're going, I don't get this parable. I don't get this one. Because they have been preconditioned to think the Messiah is going to reign forever. They watch the Messiah die before their eyes and they're thinking, this is not the guy. We've wasted our lives. He just died in front of us. If he was really the son of God, if he was really the Messiah, he could have stopped these Romans. He could have just obliterated them. He's not the guy. What are we going to do now? Now they're going to come get us. They're in this deep, dark place. And then when the women are saying all this stuff, they're not pumped and primed to believe. They go, this is nonsense. You know why this is nonsense? They saw him dead. Dead. And they expected him to stay dead. Because that's normal. What? There's got to be a better explanation than an angel and resurrection. What is going on here? That was their reaction. That's important for us to remember. 
Because even the closest followers, the devotees of Jesus, loved Jesus, like what he taught, but they did not believe he was resurrected. So, point number one, does this sound like nonsense to you? If it sounds like nonsense to you, you're in good company. You're just like the early disciples who love Jesus, but this whole literal resurrection thing, oh, I got to have a little bit more to go on than that. That's where they were too. And we're going to go there. There's going to be a little bit more to go on than that. And that's what we need to investigate. Let's go a little bit further with this. Luke 24, verse 12. Here's what we read. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. He's trying to figure out well, something's got to explain this. What is going on here? Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now, just a question. If you were going to make up a religion and fabricate a story about a resurrected Jesus, would you have the hero and the leader of the entire movement look like this? He's wondering to himself, what happened? That's not how you'd present it if you're making it up. Now, how it's presented seems to fit how it came down and how it happened, but we still are wondering what happened. So, here's the second question. What adequately explains the chain reaction? Now, here's the thing. There is an immediate chain reaction after a crucifixion. So you have a crucified leader, and there's this immediate chain reaction where a movement has continued to this day and it's gaining momentum. We have 2.4 billion people who believe it to have happened. What happened to cause this chain reaction? Now, let me just suggest to you something. If you've been told a few things and you go, I just can't believe it, I would urge you to read the primary source documents again. Not like this is the Bible, but like these are primary source documents written by witnesses who are saying what they believe and why they believe it. And you'll find something rather interesting. Now, you can read the entire New Testament rather quickly. Some people think the Bible is so intimidating. The New Testament is really little. So you can read the entire New Testament rather rapidly, and it would be an encouragement to do so. But if that's too big for you, just read Luke and Acts. And I think you'll discover that just with those two things, the life of Jesus and what happened afterwards and the chain, event, chain of events, you're going to go, whoa. Something happened to cause this because this movement exploded into growth, all right? So here's a kind of lengthy quote to kind of boil this down. If you think the resurrection is hard to explain, the immediate chain reaction is even harder to explain if there was no resurrection. Chew on that one. How did the movement explode immediately like it did if the resurrection didn't happen? Okay. Jesus gives us a hint. We see it in history as we read it. And here's what Jesus said. In Luke, he says this, one line. You are witnesses of these things. And he was speaking to his disciples because something happened beyond the empty tune. Something happened beyond the voice of the angel. Something happened beyond simply hearsay. They met him. By the way, if you want to watch a good movie, I watched this a year ago. I forgot I bought it. I was so glad I did it because I watched it again. It's very encouraging, and my memory is so lame. Every time I watch a new scene, it was like new again. It's like, whoa. It was called Risen. It's really worth the watch, Risen. So if you want to see a great movie, watch Risen. It's seeing the resurrection through the eyes 
of an unbeliever investigating, like it's a murder mystery, trying to figure out what happened. It's a great movie. Recommend it to you. So you are witnesses of these things. Here's what Paul wrote. We started in 1 Corinthians 15, and he lists off in 1 Corinthians 15, we don't have time to go into it, all the different witnesses. Did you know that at one time, Jesus appeared after his death in front of 500 people and spoke to 500 people, Paul says? 500 people. Okay, all of you hallucinate all at once. Ready? doesn't work like that. Did you know that Jesus met with the disciples, all 11 of them, and one time 10 of them, and then a a group of them, when he met with them, there's three separate occasions he met with them as a group, and they were interacting with him, okay? So it was the witness of a a live Jesus that changed everything. Now they got to reorient themselves, okay? So I want to talk about that a little bit. So A on your outline, Faith didn't cause it. Our world wants to say, it's fine with you believe whatever you want to believe because I I know it's good for you. It helps you. And whatever you believe is real for you, good for you. Okay? But here's their view of faith. Their view of faith is, faith is blind. Faith is like otherworldly. It's like this thing that isn't real. It's like, you know, fairy tales. If you believe in fairy tales, as long as it helps you, great. Believe in fairy tales. That helps you. That is not what Jesus taught faith is. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. He says, this whole idea of mindless faith, blind faith, where your brain says no, but as long as you believe it, yes, that's not faith according to Jesus. He says, no, you need to not set your mind in neutral or cut the mind off. He says, use your mind. And the followers of Jesus did. They go, wait a minute. There's got to be a better explanation. And they wanted enough to where the mind comes together along with the heart and the spirit in this loving Jesus. Faith did not cause the resurrection or the reality of the chain reaction. No, an event did. Are you with me? Secondly, B on the outline, documents didn't cause it. A lot of people go, I can't believe that because I really don't believe the Bible. Well, you know, what they say about that and what they say about this. I don't believe that. And you believe it because you believe the Bible. It's like, so documents, eh, I'm really not into the Bible, so I can't really believe this. Whoa, 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 hold the boat. Here, hold on. Documents didn't cause the chain reaction. The documents were not written yet. The documents came later. Okay, let's just picture the scene. You arrive at a town that has this epicenter of an earthquake decimates the town. You flew in. You didn't feel the earthquake. You bring a camera with you. And you go, whoa, something happened here. I'm going to take pictures and document, 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 document. I think it was an earthquake. Somebody says, nah, that's a hoax, right? You go, it's not the document that caused it. An earthquake caused it. It happened before you got there and began to document. That's how the New Testament is created. Later, After the events, shortly after the events, I'll show you in a moment, it was created, okay? But the movement exploded in this massive chain reaction because of eyewitness testimony and the preaching of what happened. They go, you're kidding me? And others begin to believe it. And they experience something in the chain reaction too and it just grows and grows and grows and grows. Now, back up to the faith thing. Faith didn't cause it. Can Can you think of anybody more not wanting to believe something 
than the Apostle Paul. If you're not familiar with him, uh, he was a persecutor of the church. He was the biggest opponent of Christ in the early movement. He was successful at stomping out and killing Christians, arresting them and having them arrested. He was preserving his cherished Judaism, who he thought was being obliterated by this new sect. And he thought it was all a lie. He did not want to believe anything about Jesus. It was all a lie. And he's confronted by a resurrected Jesus. And Jesus blinds him and talks to him. And he sees this brilliant, glorified being. And now he has to reconsider. And he doesn't want to. So it's not faith that causes a movement. It's Jesus and the event that causes a movement. See on your outline. Jesus caused it, okay? So when I say Jesus caused it, we're looking at the epicenter, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus is something that's documented not only by the Christian writers, but also by unbelieving Judaistic writers, including Josephus, and the events around the life of Jesus are documented by all. Historically, it happened. And now you have this chain of events, so you gotta go, what happened, all right? And so that's what we're investigating. Now I wanna throw you a curveball, okay? I doubt that you've heard this one, because I sure hadn't, and because I thought it up, all right? At least as far as I know. <laughs> I, I don't know where it came from, but it's just like, whoa! It starts here, Ephesians 1. This is Paul. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I didn't think this part up. Paul says, in the spiritual dimension, there's a reality that you can't see. There's a reality you can't hear. There's a reality that our senses now have been shut down since the fall of humanity. There's a, almost a parallel universe that's going on that you have to have revelation to see. And so it's helpful to have revelation from God to know that there's this reality. And so there's a long history of revelation that gets us to know that there are some things beyond what we sense that is real. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart now, not, not the eyes of your head, might open up that you may know. And what he wants us to know is a power that's so real that we experience it, it's, and it's, so it's not the power we sense with our senses. And here's what he has to say about it. Verse 19, he says, his incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. So I've been praying this prayer for a year now that it enters into my prayer on a daily routine um, when I'm praying warfare prayers against a realm I cannot see. I'm merged with Christ and I'm praying through the power of this epicenter, this resurrection power that now I can share and experience. It's an incomparable power when you're dealing with these spiritual realities. Now, if I'm just speaking over your head, just set that on the shelf. Don't worry about it, okay? Because I'm going to speak a little higher over my head in a moment. So if we can compare powers for a moment, here we go. We're going to compare powers. He says the resurrection power is the superpower. This power is greater, do you see it? Incomparable, greater than any other power we've ever experienced. And we now have harnessed a lot of different, more powerful powers than in Paul's day. We've now harnessed electricity. We've now harnessed fossil fuels. We've now harnessed nuclear power. 
We've seen some amazing physical power that's built into the physics of our universe, and humans have begun to harness this stuff that God has created and designed. So we're going to do a little comparison here. I hope it doesn't bother you too much. We're going to compare nuclear power with resurrection power, and we're going to see it through Paul's eyes, and we're going to see that nuclear power is nothing compared to this unseen resurrection power. Let's see if I can show you what I mean. Nuclear bombs are weapons of mass destruction. They harness the forces that hold the nucleus of an atom together by using the energy released when the particles of the nucleus, neutrons and protons, are either split or merged through fission or fusion. Okay, how many of you just got lost? Okay, so I read that and studied it, and I feel sort of lost. It's like, okay, you can tell me these words, and I kind of like them. I sort of think I can get it, but it's like, whoa, that's like beyond my pay grade. I don't really get this. But what the scientists have discovered, and if you want to just build a nuclear bomb, go to YouTube, YouTube it, and just you know, figure it out. All right. A little funny? <laughs> Maybe? All right. So... To harness this power, you go to the subatomic level and you take the nucleus and you split it. That's called fission. That was how they did the atomic bomb. They split at the nuclear level in this chain reactive power that this fission split and caused a chain reaction causing more fission split, fission split, split, fission split. Aren't you glad not front row? Fission split. And then it goes boom, boom. And that's a small bomb. Now they've gone bigger with fusion bombs, which are hydrogen bombs, where they fuse at an atomic level with the radioactive uh, material to cause it to fuse with it more explosive kabooms, okay? So, let's take the biggest kaboom you can imagine in nuclear power here, and now with Paul, we're going to say, incomparable, that's like nothing compared to resurrection power. Now, our senses can't see it, but this is more powerful. Paul would say, okay, let's compare this one. We're going to let it go off at the same time as this one. Okay, ready? Go. Did you hear that one? This one is like a gnat's sneeze. The nuclear power is just kind of like, did you hear it? Compared to the resurrection power. What he's talking about is a spiritual reaction through fusion and fission that I want us to talk about next. On the screen, I just hold it together with these thoughts. The resurrection was an epicenter flashpoint that set off a powerful chain reaction that continues to this day. It follows the pattern of both fusion and fission by merging with Christ, then splitting resurrection life from person to person. I've never thought these thoughts before. Have you? It's almost like God has designed the physical universe to mirror the possibility of power that he has latent in his pinky. And he's saying, what you have harnessed here is nothing compared to what you cannot see with your eyeballs or sense with your hands. If we were to go to the nuclear explosion site and we arrived there later with our documented devices, we could see the epicenter, we could see the wiped out miles and miles, we would document it and we'd say, something happened here. And then a whole bunch of other people say, hoax, hoax, I don't know what happened, but that wasn't it. And that's what's taking place, and yet with the chain reaction that's taking place of lives after lives after lives being transformed by resurrection power, something happened. And 2.4 billion people are going, not only did it happen back then, it's still happening now, and I just experienced it because the eyes of my heart has just been opened, and I know something that's beyond me, and it's real, and it's resurrection power, and it's in my life now. 
when the tombstone was rolled away, it wasn't to let Jesus out. He walked through the locked doors. You know, he just zip, zip from one place to the other after resurrection. It was to let us look in. And when he rolled that tombstone away, he did more than just show us he's alive. He showed us himself. He wants to show us himself now in our personal relationship. In this chain reaction of events, if you're not experiencing power, you've got a problem at one of two levels. You're not experiencing power because you're missing the power of fusion merging with Christ. Or, if you have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're living a dull life, and you go, uh-huh, you're experiencing a power deficiency at a fission level. It's all about you, me and Jesus. We got it together now, I'm going to heaven. And there's, ho-hum. Because you're not experiencing the chain reaction as the resurrection power is channeled through you to touch another life and you go, whoa, it's real again. Because you're seeing that life change and you're talking to somebody else and you see that life change. It's real again. Boom, 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 boom. It's happened all over the globe, people. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is alive and real in a chain reaction. It's an it's a exponential movement and it is solidly miraculous, and Jesus is alive. So here's what I want you to do. If you've never (laughs) investigated the historical documents, if you've never looked at it, read it. If you feel like, oh, I want to look again, look at it. If you feel like I want to trust enough to see if God is real and pray it, pray it, because you're taking a step towards fusion, And what I'm saying is, this is not natural. This is supernatural, and you're going to experience it. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you might know, that you might experience this fusion. You're not going far enough if it's kind of like, I think I want to try to be better. I want to do my best, do a little better. That isn't it. Fuse, and then talk about it and see that it's real as it touches other people's lives too. So point number three, bet on it. And this is a bet for eternity. This is a wager. It's got risks, but a very, very wise man said this about this wager. Blaise Pascal, he was an ancient wise man, mathematician, scientist, philosopher, inventor, follower of Jesus. He says, belief is a wise wager. Granted that faith cannot be proved, what harm will, it, will come to you if you gamble on its truth and it proves false? I stand up here and say this stuff. I can't prove anything to you. But what if you gamble and it proves to be true? He says, if you gain, you gain all. If you lose, you lose nothing. Bet on it. Wager then, without hesitation, that he exists. Amen? Amen. If something inside of you go, I need to go further with this. I need to, I need to deal with some sin in my life so that I experience true fusion because there's, some, there's a blockage here. Fuse. Repent. Yield. Seek Jesus. Pray. If you've been just keeping it to yourself and life's pretty dull and it just seems like natural and only natural and doesn't seem very supernatural, vision. Begin to ask Jesus to fill you, use you, 
follow him. Spread it. Talk about it. Watch it. It starts to go real again for you. If you would like to pray a prayer and something inside of you is going, you need to take a step. This is it. Let's all stand together. Here's a prayer. Venture out. You're testing to see if he's real. This is how relationships work. Are you there? Can I trust you? Try it out. Here we go. God, I know I've let a lot of death into my life. I've messed up. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for me. Thank you for raising him back to life. I'm ready to put an end to all the death in me and start living for you. In Jesus' name, amen. When Jesus rolled away a stone, he rolled away a stone of pride from my heart. And that pride rolled away, exposed all the death inside of me, all the pride that tried to control everything and keep everything to me and it's self-centered and self-asserting and selfish. And he exposed all that and he's just starting to pour in himself and replace all of that. All of a sudden, all of life is better. The sky seems bluer. I can listen to birds sing louder. My marriage is sweeter. My family is joy. That is resurrection life experienced on a day-to-day level. Allow him to remove that pride and confess your sin and turn to a savior. Cross the line today.